Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. John chapter 1 and verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Lord Jesus, we need you this morning. We don't know what to do with the darkness. We live so often as a people who whose God stays away from the darkness and leaves us alone to figure it out, who leaves us alone in the struggle, who leaves us alone in the isolation, who leaves us alone in the brokenness, who leaves us alone in the darkness. So God, this morning, maybe the greatest thing you could do would be to open our eyes to see that you are God that penetrates the darkness. You are a God who brings your light to the darkness. And you are right by our side. You have not left us. You have come to us, O God, in the flesh and by your Spirit. Oh God, would you reorient our lives this morning, reorient our hearts to the cross, reorient our hearts to you. You deserve glory and majesty and power and dominion. And oh God, may we submit to you this morning. Do something in this place by your Spirit. Don't leave us as we are. Oh Father, we have heard the narratives of the world and they have sucked us in. They have played us as if we are a people without hope and direction and power. And so may your gospel come to bear on us, O God. Do your work by your Spirit. Do surgery in this place this morning. Start with me. But do anything but leave us as we are. We pray for revival because we know that's what is, would be glorifying to you. We pray that our hearts would be consecrated to you. So would you get to work in this place this morning to do just that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Zebulun and Naphtali. What we read in Isaiah chapter 9 is that light is going to dawn in a specific place. And what you need to know is when Isaiah was reading these words, when this prophecy came to the people of God, they said, yeah, right. So much so that when the Savior was born in Bethlehem, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, in the land of of, um, Galilee, which the tribes of Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali, were given in uh, the conquest of Canaan, the people said, no, (laughs) that can't be true. For you see, places have reputations. 
If you say West Memphis, Arkansas, that has a reputation in my heart and mind because that's where I was born. That's where I lived. That's where my parents split up. That's where Richard was left in many ways alone. If you say Fort Collins, Colorado, I talk so openly and so longingly and so good about Fort Collins, but there's some deep wounds there. That when I say Fort Collins, Colorado, I feel that in my heart. When you say North Memphis, South Memphis, East Memphis, when you say New York City or L.A. or Chicago or Atlanta, cities and places have reputations because stuff goes on there. And because we live in a fallen world, it's typically a lot of bad stuff. And so when this prophecy comes to God's people and they hear that light has dawned in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, in the, in the, in the land of Canaan, the people of God say, yeah, right. In John 1, 43-46, we read this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. There it is, Galilee, land of Zebulun and Naphtali. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, and then Nathanael said to him, sorry, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> you see, Nazareth had a reputation. The prophecy of God through the Old Testament, the, the very Word of God in the New Testament is coming through a place, and what do the people say? Yeah, right. And so what is God saying? Last week we saw that He came from somewhere. He came from perfect community, and that's what we all want. We all want perfect community. We want a perfect marriage. We want a perfect family. We want a perfect church. We want a perfect workplace. We want a perfect community. And we also want a perfect team that we can be creative and, and have purpose and work on and through. And we saw this last week, that that's what Jesus left to come down. But we see now that He came. He left something to come somewhere. And that somewhere, dear friends, is the darkness and what God is telling us in the Incarnation is this. I am in the midst of your darkness. Are you in a dark place this morning? Do you feel hopeless? Do you feel like, do you feel outcast? I mean, that is the very essence of what it means to be a fallen human being. We are outcasts. We've been put out. We are over here and we're fighting desperately to get back in, but we can't on our own and yet we try on our own and therefore the darkness overwhelms us because we feel isolated and alone and hopeless. And what God is declaring to us in the Incarnation is, You are not alone, because I will pierce the darkness with the light of my presence. Dear friends, do you believe that this morning? Are you living like that? That God is in the middle of your dark place. That He knows your struggles, and He's struggling in you and with you by His Spirit. Or do you feel alone and abandoned this morning? Dear friends, I want us to see that God is in the dark place. So let me say it again, the first point. Jesus comes to the darkness. He came to the darkness. 
That's what John said. He came to the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I was at a meeting uh, this week, Friday morning, and a man stood up, and very educated man. It was a workshop, and he said, uh, he said, all the housing projects in 38126 have been torn down. And then he kind of just went on. And anybody that lives downtown um, understands that there's a real divide between 38103 and 38126. Um, it, it's, it's, it's invisible, but it is highly effective and highly literal. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, the only reason this man is saying this, he's been in Memphis about 30 years, but the only reason he's saying this is because either he has never driven down Vance or he has uh, hadn't driven down Vance in a long time. Why is that? Why don't most white people use Vance Avenue as a major thoroughfare going to Midtown? It's the fastest way from the the south end of downtown. And yet most people drive way over. Let's get on. Okay, MLK Jr. We'll kind of go up uh, MLK Jr. Why? Because people are afraid of 38126. I wonder how many real estate agents are making it big in 38126. Uh, I wonder how much development is going on. Do you see it? It is unnatural to move in the direction of suffering, hurting, oppression, violence, racism. It is not a winning strategy to try to plant a church that is a bridge between 38126 and 38103. It's not the fastest growth model in church planning today. I was in a small group in that meeting on Friday, and I was with um, grouped with two women, both of whom lead separate nonprofits. And one of the women who works with... Um, uh, juvenile offenders in the city asked me what I did, and I said, well, I'm, I'm a part of a church that is um, seeking to bridge through the gospel uh, those that live in 38126 and those that live in 38103 to bring real reconciliation in the gospel. So rich and poor, black and white from both sides. And the woman said this, she said, now you just said something I have never heard anybody say. You've caught my attention. Why? Because it's not natural, it's not the natural flow, it's not the natural planning, it's not the natural direction that we want to go. Because three and those in 38126 don't necessarily want to do life with those in 38103. And those in 38103 don't want to do life with those in 38126 unless there's a reason to do so. And that's why we're doing this, because there is a reason to do so. And his name is Jesus. 
It's unnatural to move in the direction of darkness and suffering and hurting and relational hardship. And why would I invest my life? Why? I mean, I can just I can segregate myself and, and have a much more comfortable life and, 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 and probably much more wealthy life and healthy life. Why, 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 why? And, and those that make it out of 38126, if you will, it's hard for them to, to get them to engage back into the community. Why? Because it is hard to go in the direction of suffering. And yet it's at the very heart of God. You know why? Because He didn't just come to 38126. He came to 38103 because both needed Him equally. Jesus' heart is to move to the darkness when our heart is to move away from the darkness. He came to darkness. Why? Because 1 John 4, 8 says this, God is love. Do you understand that the very nature of love is to be poured out? Love is not a consumer. Love doesn't come in and say, what are y'all going to do for me? Love comes in and pours out into others. It doesn't sit around waiting to be poured into. It pours out. That's the nature of love. Love is not a consumer. Love has legs and not a butt to sit on. (laughs) Write that down. (laughs) Love is moving. It's never idle. Love moves in the direction of the need. And we see that in the very essence and nature of God. And dear friends, that's good news. It's good news if you see yourself as poor in spirit. It's good news if you see yourself as broken. It's good news if you see yourself as needy. It's good news if you see yourself as marginalized. It's good news if you see yourself as oppressed, but it's not good news if you see yourself as self-sufficient. It's not good news if you see yourself as doing just fine. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist cries out, and you can feel it in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of fear, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of frailty. I will lift my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Dear friends, are you crying that at night? Is is that the cry of your soul? Where in the world is my help coming from? As you look at Ferguson, as you look at New York, as you look at your own life, as you look at your relationships, as you look at your neighborhood, as you look at your profession, as you look at your job, do you cry out, where is my help coming from? And then the psalmist answers, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Our God is a God who comes to the darkness. Do you know what the answer is for whatever darkness you're living in right now? It is to hope in God. We get diverted with so many other things. But church, our hope and our help comes from the Lord, not the government. Our, our hope and our help comes from the Lord and not more money. Our hope and our help comes from the Lord and not a new car 
or nicer clothes, or a new spouse, or better children, or an understanding parent. Our hope comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Do you understand that? And are you functionally living as if that is the centrality of your belief as a Christian? This has real application. This whole reality that God comes to the darkness to be a refuge for his people. Do you understand that biblical theology, if you just read the Bible, it should not be any surprise to us, nor should we deny the reality that there are broken systems that favor some over others in this country. If you've read your Bible at all, you see that everything is screwed up. Everything is messed up. Nothing is moving toward order and justice and love and beauty. Everything is disintegrating. Where does our help come from? Our help will come from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Jesus never promises to take us from our circumstances. He promises to be the refuge, the sufficient refuge and all the strength we need in the midst of our storm. Isn't that beautiful? No. (laughs) Because we want him to fix it. And so what do we do? What do we do? What do we do with what do we do with the injustice that that is being exposed around our country. What do we do? Man, I've been thinking about that a lot. I have written and written and written and published very little. You know why? Because something keeps holding me back from offering any hope but the Lord. Now, why is that? I don't want to sound spiritual here. And up to this moment, I haven't really prepared what I'm about to say. Because I have gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And so pray right now that God gives me something really insightful to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Do you know what we should do? It's why we did what we did this morning. God's people, we should lament. We should lament. I mean, we should be lamenting that there are issues and and there are systems in our country and there are individuals in our country that favor some over others. And we should be lamenting that some of those that are doing their work righteously and trying to be good judges and trying to be good policemen are getting caught up. We should lament. The whole thing is a mess. Because it's not an issue. I've been thinking hard. What can solve this problem? And here's the, here's the bottom line from my perspective, and it's just my opinion. But I don't know what, else, what other laws can be passed. We have the Civil Rights Act of the 60s. We have the, uh, the Voting Rights Act of the 60s. That changed a lot. The problem is not... Law, now there might be some laws that need to be tweaked. I'm not saying, hear me. The issue is a sin problem and a people problem, not a legal problem, ultimately. 
Because we can, this has been my debate with abortion for all these years. If everybody would humble themselves and come before the Lord and submit themselves, then we wouldn't have to have laws. Why does God give us His law? We're actually going to look at this in January and February with the Ten Commandments. Why does God give us His law? Because we need it. (laughs) Because we are law breakers at heart, not law supporters. And so what we need in this country is revival. And what we need to do as the church is we need to lament. And as we lament the injustices of our land, lamenting goes before God and not others. Lamenting happens right here in the church. And the problem is we in the church have not led you in lamenting. We haven't given you the platform to lament. We should be crying and weeping that young boys and young girls are being ostracized and maybe even killed because of the color of their skin. That's not a political thing. That's not a social thing. That's a gospel thing. But we should not only be lamenting We should be leading in hope. Because the whole message of the Incarnation is that light has dawned that will overtake the world one day, someday. Our hope is Jesus, and He is coming back. And you know why He's coming back? To put an end to all the injustice that does exist. To put an end to all the oppression that does exist. To put an end to the suffering that the church has turned its back to and closed its eyes to and been unwilling to expose and talk about. Do you want to know, and I think a forum would be very healthy, and Chris and I are talking about this, of having some type of forum to talk about Ferguson and New York and Trayvon Martin and others, to talk about where we are as a country. But you want to know why we haven't just rushed to the urgency? Because we are dealing with this on a daily basis. It's why we planted this church. We are preaching this weekly. And the reason so many others need to have more forums and more is because the church has just not even dealt with it. 95% of the churches don't have any minority groups in them. And so where the gospel is the answer, what we need is an all-new society. Memphis needs Jesus. Ferguson needs Jesus. This world needs Jesus. The light has come to darkness, but secondly, he came to win through losing. And this informs our response to issues in the world as well. He came to win through losing. He came to win through humility. I think that's why I connect with the movie Rocky, that highly intellectual film. Um, Rocky 1 and 2 were my favorite because here was Rocky's philosophy of fighting. It was, I'm going to go in the ring, let the opponent beat me to the point of almost death, and then when they wear themselves out, I will throw a punch and win the fight. Now, nobody should fight like that unless you are someone really strong like Rocky. I love what Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 and 17 says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, 
He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliverer of all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Therefore, listen to this, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. He took on flesh because he was our perfect representative. We needed someone to come down and to live under the law in every specific situations that we face the law and do it perfectly so that we would have a ground upon which, through faith, to receive right standing before God. He came to the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. But boy, did it ostracize him. The darkness did not overcome it, but boy, did it drive him to the point of loneliness in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, dealing with the devil face to face. The darkness did not overcome Jesus, but boy, did it, did it lead him to tremendous humility in being born as a baby in a, in a, put in a food trough in a barn in Bethlehem. The darkness did not overcome him, but man, did it take its best shot when it accused him of being a heretic, when he had to stand before men and take criticism from those that will stand before him when he sits on the judgment seat of God one day, someday. The darkness did not overcome him, but boy, did it absolutely humiliate him when he was being beat, spit upon. Stripped naked, hung on a cross, nailed to a cross publicly. The darkness did not overcome him, but boy, did it take its best shot. Why? So that we could stand before him and say, yes, Jesus, I believe you to be my representative. I believe you to be the one that represents me not only before my sin, but before your law, O God. Turn, if you will, to Isaiah 53. I love this. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what they heard from us? Verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up like him, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. But he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Listen to this. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. How many of us in this room look in the mirror every day and wonder if we're beautiful enough to go out the door? How many of us, when we walked into this room this morning, were so self-conscious that we were wondering what other people are thinking about us? How many of us live in the fear of, of, we've got to please everybody around us, we've got to dress a certain way, act a certain way, speak a certain way, look a certain way, so that we can get approval? And yet Jesus came and he took the form of ugliness. That's what it's saying. He came in an ugly form. What Isaiah is saying, is he, he was, there was nothing to write home about. 
He was ugly for you and me because He knew His source of beauty and He lived His life understanding His worth. And He did it so that you and I could now say yes to Jesus and say, I don't need to be beautiful either. I need to do nothing to please those around me because I have the pleasure of God. You see, Jesus came in the form of an ugly man that he might blow up from the inside out all of our insecurities. Isn't that beautiful? He keeps going. He was despised and rejected by men. Do you feel despised and rejected by those around you? How are you dealing with those that despise and reject you? Do you love your enemies? No, you don't. Guess what Jesus did for you? He came in human form. He was despised. He was rejected by men. He had friends that betrayed him. All the apostles betrayed him and left him alone on the cross. And guess what? He stood on that cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he did that for you and me. He came on the inside of all that sin and blew it up so that now God could accept you and me when we're despised and rejected and we sulk and we come with our arms held high and our fists clenched ready to fight. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Have you experienced periods and maybe a life of great sorrow? Have you wondered in the midst of the darkness, why me? God has abandoned me. Well, guess what? Jesus did too, but he did it righteously. He hung on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's been there and he blew up the guilt of our self-pity and the guilt of our self-righteousness so that now we could be accepted by the Father. Do you understand the beauty of this? He came in the flesh to lose so that you and I could win. Do you know that, Jesus, this morning? And then lastly, He came from the Father, but He never left the Father. We stated this last week, Philippians 2, 5-7. through Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Here's the temptation at Christmas. Some of you probably this morning were sitting there, we may have been singing some songs, and you're like, when are we going to sing my favorite Christmas hymn? Where is it? When are we going to have some children up here with some donkeys and some hay and... They don't even have a Christmas tree up. They haven't even had the hanging of the green. I don't even know what that is. But it's probably important to some people in this room. There there are all these customs, there are all these traditions that we hold on to and we say, it's not Christmas unless. But let's just narrow it down to this. Christmas is us as human beings understanding what Christ has done for us and not just receiving it but walking in faith in the same direction of it. 
You see, this whole concept that light came to darkness, that God came to darkness, uh, that God is with us in our time of need, has direct applications to us as His church. What it means is this, is that you and I must be moving intentionally toward the darkness around us. Uh, The big theological or kind of churchy word, it's not really theological, the churchy word for this now is called living missionally. And there's all kind of books written about it, and and I've read a bunch of them, and every time I read one of those books, I feel bad that I'm not living like they're telling me to live. I'm not doing it precisely how they have identified what living missionally means. Here's what living missionally means. It means you are not just a businessman, you are not just a lawyer, you are not just a doctor, you are not just a teacher, you are not just a a neighbor, you are not just a friend, you are not just a spouse, you are not just a parent, you are not just a child, you are not just someone who works in a a, a coffee shop, you're not someone who works at MLGNW, you're not someone who works in a daycare, you're not someone who whatever. You're also not someone who was in prison and now is out and you have no purpose. You're also not someone who is poor and I can't do anything great for God. God comes to His people and He says this, I live missionally for you that you might live missionally for somebody else. That means you teach for the glory of God and the good of someone around you. And you can be part of MTR or not and fulfill that. That means as a lawyer, as a doctor, as someone who works at MLGNW, as a neighbor, you're constantly thinking, not my glory, not my needs, not what's best for me, but what is the glory of God and the good of those around me. I'm living missionally. I'm taking the love of Christ. I'm taking the light of Christ. I'm looking at my community and I'm saying, what are the needs? And that's where I'm going to be. And I'm going to stand for those who can't stand for themselves. There it is. Why? Because Jesus stood for me. And I'm going to die for those who can't, who can't bring life to themselves. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for me. That's what living missionally is all about. And I ask you, has it really grasped your heart? Is it holding on to your heart? How do we do this? That's a great question. I don't know what it looks like for you in your specific situation, and that's why we have the community of God's people. That's what we're here for, is to get together and talk about these things, to have forums, to have small groups, to have dinner with others and say, man, how do you do, how, do, how are you as a Christian a neighbor to your neighbors? We talk about these things. But ultimately, where does the strength come from? Our strength comes from the Lord. I love this whole idea of Jesus coming to earth. But here's the beautiful reality. Jesus came to earth but never left the Father. Man, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Do you want to know how you can be the man or the woman or the child that God has called you to be? Spend time with Jesus. (laughs) Do you want to know? You say, man, I don't know how to love like that. I can't. I'm I'm too fearful. I'm, I'm afraid to give myself. Go be and 
with Jesus and meditate on Him and meditate on His Word and do it regularly. Get up early. That's what Jesus did. He got up early. He went to a desolate place where no one would bug Him, although they always seemed to find Him. That's the next verse is, And Simon and those who were with Him searched for Him, and they found Him. And yet Jesus was always saying, Man, I've got to go be with the Father. I've got to go be with the Father. The only way that we can be love in our community and be light in our community and live missionally is if we are spending time with the Father and letting Him pour into us. If we are connected to the body, if we're here in worship and we let the music and the worship of God's people flow over us and our hearts are, are, are drawn to Christ and we see our sin and we let go of our sin... And we go to His Word personally and we are pouring ourselves into it, allowing the Father to expose our sin and His truth and giving us strength because we can see in His Word how deeply He loves us. So dear friends, may we be full of Jesus this morning by letting go of whatever it is that's keeping us from Him. And may we come to these tables and be filled up with Him. Let go of your sin. Let go of your fears. Let go of whatever's entangling you. Let go of all these demands that you've got to get done this week. Let go of it and get filled up with Jesus. And then go love somebody. Go lay your life down for somebody. Because that's why Jesus came. That we might be the very people of God. A light that runs directly to the darkness. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that we might be these kind of people. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we might run to those in our family. We might run to those in our neighborhood. We might run to those in our workplace. We might run to those in our city. We might run to those in our country that we might be known as a, as men and women of peace and that we might be known as men and women of light and not darkness. God, help us to bring compassion and lament and sorrow to those that are suffering and are marginalized. But help us to bring hope and not fuel the anger And not fuel the hopelessness. But Father, may we go with the answer of Jesus. And may we go with the very hope that He is coming. And one day, someday, all things will be made new. Oh God, would you make us this kind of church. Make us these kinds of people. For your glory. And the good of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.